Welcome to the Kaleidoscope with Allison Keys. This is a podcast from CBS News, and I am your host. The show is a breakout from the CBS News Weekend Roundup. This week, we're talking about space tourism. Billionaires Jeff Bezos and Richard Branson both launched missions with passengers to the edge of space. People who gathered in Times Square to watch the Blue Origin flight were psyched and thoughtful. This is great. It's a wonderful achievement for space and human uh, space travel, so... This is the next era, right? So can't wait to get my Uber up there. There's always this regular people thinking about the billionaires going up. But honestly, I think it's, it's a, also a, a, a celebration for the everyday man to be able to go up. But those trips are pricey, running between tens of millions and a quarter million bucks, depending on which company one looks at. At Blue Origin, Jeff Bezos says his space tourism mission is about practicing. We're going to build a road to space so that our kids and their kids can build the future. And we need to do that. We need to do that to solve the problems here on Earth. At Virgin Galactic, Richard Branson says those who can pay 250000 for a joyride will help make it possible for the rest of us to take a flight. We will be able to bring the price down. Um, you know, it'll, it, like with commercial aviation travel, it'll take a few years. And, and the wealthy will, will pay the bills and enable us to do that. But does that mean space tourism will be a thing for regular folk? We asked astrophysicist Neil deGrasse Tyson about that and a few other things. That conversation after this short break. Temp check. What kind of summer are we having this year? A family road trip summer? A beach bum summer? Or a wake me up when the sun sets summer? With Instacart, choose your own adventure and skip the shopping side quests. Where available, you can get ice cream delivered to your hotel, sunscreen to the pool, or cold brew to your bed. Well, door, in as fast as 30 minutes. Wherever you find yourself this summer, you can get the goods. Download Instacart for free delivery on your first three orders. Offer valid for a limited time. Minimum $10 per order. Excludes restaurants. Additional terms and fees apply. I think space tourism should have been a thing many decades ago. There is no reason why countries should have the monopoly, if that's the right word, on access to the rest of the universe off the surface of the earth. So so uh, clearly nations would do that first because it's expensive and it's not obvious what the economic return is for doing it first. But once it's done, um, there's no reason at all why this couldn't have been happening long ago. There's no technology being invoked that is uniquely of the year 2021, right? Uh, these two billionaires went into suborbital, the, took on a suborbital path. That's something that Alan Shepard did in 1961, even before John Glenn flew his first three orbits. So so in that sense, it's it's not pushing any kind of space frontier. But what it is doing is opening a new marketplace to space tourism. And I don't have any problems with that. I wonder whether you think they were actually in space, because some people are kind of like, well, it's that edge thing that NASA says is right, you know, barely on the edge of space, but it's not like they were halfway to the moon or something like that, right? Yeah, the edge thing is, is a thing. <laughs> yeah, the, yeah, how edgy do you want to get uh, on this broadcast? So... The, there's a functional definition of space that's been sort of widely agreed upon, and that's 100 kilometers up. Nice round number, it converts 
of course, to 62 miles. Uh, if you're metric fluent or not metric fluent, <clears throat> that's a 62 mile <laughs> elevation. And what's going on there is there's, you've left enough atmosphere below you that hardly anything remains above your head. And in so doing, the air is no longer sky blue. In broad daylight, the sky blue sky disappears. And you're left with the darkness of the night sky, even with the sun invisible to you at the same time. And that, by many people's reference, is the beginning of the edge of our atmosphere or the edge of space. Okay. Um, you want to, we might ask, well, how high up is that? All right. I mean, it feels like a lot, you know, 100 kilometers, 60 miles. Oh, my gosh. Uh, most people will never get that high up. So how high up is it? Well, so I, I did some math on that. Is that allowed? A little bit of math. And <laughs> I'm <you> shocked. <laughs> okay. If you didn't say, I didn't say there'd be any math on the, on the interview. So you take a schoolroom globe, about a foot across, right? A schoolroom globe. And you ask, how far away are things from a schoolroom globe that are in the solar system? Like, how far away is Mars? It's a mile away. How far away is the moon? It's 30 feet away in the next room. Well, how far away is the International Space Station? That's pretty high up, and it's in orbit. That's three-eighths of an inch above the surface of the schoolroom globe. Well, how high up are the billionaires? They're the thickness of two dimes <laughs> above a schoolroom globe. I, as an astrophysicist, I, I would rather think of space as something farther away than that, the moon, Mars, and beyond. But according to edge of atmosphere definitions, you know, they, they kiss the edge of space. So, okay, fine. But for me, the real advance here is it, maybe people will be taking rocket rides uh, as uh, as tourist vacation destinations in the future, and maybe they shouldn't call it they shouldn't call it space uh, they shouldn't call it uh, space tourism. In this case, maybe it's rocket tourism. All right? How many of us would ever get a chance to sit in a capsule or sit in anything, and then be blasted into space by a rocket? That's kind of cool, right? So, and rocket countdowns never go get old. All right. If you're channel surfing and there's a countdown with 10 seconds, you're stopping. What's going to happen uh, with this rocket in 10 seconds? So uh, it's it's rocket tourism. I, I, I might rename it, but I'm not going. I'm not forceful about that. That's just an opinion. I'm curious because I, of course, am a huge space girl, Star Trek, Star Wars, all of that, and also grew up reading Arthur C. Clarke. So. Is this going to mean that eventually that there should be able to be columns, you know, a colony on the moon or on Mars or on Venus? And how much does this travel that the billionaires just did push us in that direction? So I, I don't, you know, should questions imply that I have judged what you should do. And I, I've never taken that kind of posture. I think people should make up their own mind, but they should be informed. And as an educator, it's my duty that before you ever say something should happen, that you are as fully informed as possible. So I think of it as more symbolic, that it is opening access to rockets that people, regular people never previously had. In the, in the Jeff Bezos launch, he sent up, I thought this was kind of cool, sent up the youngest and oldest people ever to be launched in a rocket. That's kind of cool. From 18 to 82, I think it was. 
And that's interesting. So if I were an 18-year-old, I'd say, hey, maybe I could be considered for that. Or if I, if I just crossed into the 80s zone, I did, maybe, hey, that's, I, maybe I can do that. So the, the realizing what is possible, I think, has been a fundamental part of any American dream that's unfolded in the history of this country. So, yeah, now is it a first step towards colonizing the moon? It takes way more rocket power than going two dime thicknesses above, above the earth, a schoolroom globe, to get to the moon and pitch tent. So, so for me, it's more symbolic, but uh, who knows what the future will bring as economic opportunities uh, descend upon us. By the way, you didn't ask this, but I'll just throw it in there. It costs a quarter million dollars or whatever, somewhere around there, for a seat. I guess in Branson has advertised the cost of that journey. And so, yeah, if you're a billionaire, that's lunch money. And for the rest of us, no, we're never doing it for that money. He knows this, of course. <laughs> exactly. So, so if you launch the rocket multiple times a year, many times a year. By the way, he reused his booster, right? If you, if you saw, we're talking about... Um, um, Amazon guy now, I'm talking about um, Jeff Bezos, his booster returned to the launch pad to be reused. That is really important when you're trying to bring costs down. When, if you flew a 747 to Europe and got off the plane and then they just jumped the plane <laughs> and then have to roll out a new one every day. No, that, that's not a no, that's not working. That's not a business model. So if you reuse the parts and have many, many launches per year, you can drop that quarter million to 100000 to 50000 to 10000 Or maybe the cost of a flight to Paris. How much do you and your family spend going to Disney World? Okay? <laughs> you got to fly there, the admission, the hotel, the food. So add up a few vacation costs, and you might come up with what might be the bottom end of that entry-level uh, price to go into space. So so uh, if they can't get the price low, I don't see it ever becoming commoditized the way people's dreams have imagined for it. I know that this month marks the 52nd anniversary, I think, of Apollo 11. And I was recently speaking to someone at a dinner party who still thinks that that was a whole hoax. It's so crazy to me that people still think that. What, what do you have to say to the, you know, this was all a conspiracy theory? Yeah, so that's evidence of two things, that we live in a country that protects free speech and the failure of our education system. <laughs> it's evidence of those two <laughs> things, all right? If people don't know and understand when something is true, that's a problem for an informed democracy. And we've seen other manifestations of that problem in recent years, uh, where the concept of the very concept of something being true uh, has, has lost currency, if you will, in terms of what people will learn in order to fold into important decisions they may need to make in their lives, including decisions that affect their health and well-being. So, so yeah, that's a problem. But I also think of it as, isn't it great how advanced science and technology is that some members of our species don't believe it? That's kind of remarkable. That's how advanced we are. We're so advanced... You can't even embrace what it is. What a compliment that is to how far we've come. That's 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 my silver lining spin on that. <laughs> it's making the lemonade out of that lemon. It's, wow, thanks for that compliment. You don't even believe what we just accomplished. 
All right. And I guess I also must ask you about UFOs because there has been so much discussion about them lately. Navy pilots apparently are seeing them, but not necessarily the rest of the population. Do you believe that there are other species out there, be they crystalline, be they humanoid or whatever, and that they are hanging out above the earth like, I don't know, taking selfies with us or something? All right. So there's seven parts to that question that need to be unpacked. So uh, so it's not a matter what, what I believe, it's what evidence points to. So belief doesn't really matter here. Uh, so have we detected life elsewhere in the universe, communicated with life, detected any life that would satisfy a scientist's criteria for data? No, but we're looking, actively looking, in many different ways. And what do we think the chances of finding life out there in the universe? Very high. Why? Because life on Earth thrives on Earth. And, okay, and how long did it take life to arrive on Earth, to, 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 to develop? 100 million years or so. Very shortly after Earth formed. And we've been around for more than 4 billion years. So 100 million sounds like a long time, not when you've been around 4 billion years. It's a fraction of the total time that chemistry has been active on Earth. All right, so now we have all this life. What ingredients is it made of? Oh, there's hydrogen and oxygen and carbon and nitrogen. All right, are these rare ingredients? No, they are the most common ingredients in the universe, common elements from the periodic table. So here we are on Earth, a planet, one of eight planets, get over it, eight planets. <laughs> Pluto's gone, just deal with it. <laughs> eight planets, uh, and our catalogs now are rising through thousands and thousands of planets, exoplanets, orbiting other stars. So none of us who've studied the problem is thinking that we're alone in the universe. That's a separate question from whether intelligent aliens have crossed the galaxy to observe us on Earth showing up as monochromatic fuzzy video to Navy pilots in restricted airspace. That's a little weird. Okay. So sure. I don't know what they are, what they're looking at and they don't know what they're looking at. And it just seems to me that if we're going to be visited by aliens, we already have that crowdsourced in the form of 3 billion smartphones currently roaming this earth in people's pockets we are crowdsourcing any alien invasion that could possibly happen. And, and if aliens show up, we got full color, high resolution, video, forget photo, video of aliens poking around on Earth. And yet they're only showing up in monochromatic fuzzy video to Navy pilot. So I, I don't know what to tell you other than that's not convincing evidence for me. And frankly, for essentially 100% of my colleagues, okay, who think about this and study what the universe is and how and, and how science works and how what it means to accumulate evidence. Okay, you have evidence for something. I don't know what it's evidence for. And to say I don't know what this is, therefore I know what it is, is unjustified. And that's what the U stands for in UAP, which is the government's lame attempt to rebrand UFOs. Just call the things UFOs. We already have an abbreviation. Unidentified aerial phenomena. It's a UFO, U.S. <laughs> government. Okay, just get with the program here. So, also, why do people think government reports are something so official that that's what's going to be the source of truth? Government doesn't own the sky. 
What? What? Excuse me? What, they're going to spot something and hide it from us? No. No, they can't hide secrets attempted to be held by senators and congressmen. You think if we were actually visited by aliens, they could keep that a secret? In Area 51, you know the janitor is going to take a selfie with the alien. Oh, the janitor might lose his job. So freaking what? <laughs> the most famous janitor there ever was. Okay? So anyhow, I just need better data before I'm going to be jumping on that bandwagon. That's all. All right. Fair enough. I'm just going to ask you one more, and I'm going to go back to space travel. As a scientist, how far out do you think we are from being able to, I mean, I know we're looking at Mars now. How far out are we from colonizing other planets, perhaps, much less getting to a whole nother, you know. Colonizing. Okay. It depends on motive. Uh, it's easy to want to think that, oh, we make this discovery today and another discovery in 10 years. And people thought that way when we arrived at the moon. It was, we're on the moon by 1969, We'll be on Mars in the mid-80s. We weren't anywhere near Mars in the mid-80s. So why did we get that wrong? We got it wrong because the people who made that prediction falsely believed that we went to the moon because we are human. We are explorers. It's in our DNA. We're Americans. No, we went to the moon because we were scared. We were scared witless, right? Because Russia our sworn enemy, these godless communists, were beating us in every possible space metric there was. They had the first satellite. They had the first non, in Sputnik, the first non-human animal in, in, what's the dog's name? Laika. They had the first human. They had the first woman. They even had the first dark-skinned person, right? And they, had the, and they had the first of everything. And then we said, let's go to the moon. We went to the moon. We said, okay, we win. We win. And all right. Then we realize they're not going to the moon. Well, of course, gone is all motivation to continue that enterprise. And we stopped going to the moon in 1972. And we have not been higher than 300 miles above Earth's surface since then. So it's not inevitable just because something happens that feels like it's an advance that just extended, extrapolate, and then we're going to have colonies on Mars. Here's how that could happen. If China, they don't have to be true. They just have to leak a memo. Just leak the memo that says they want to put military bases on Mars. Oh my gosh! Oh, we'll we, we'll have <laughs> we'll have military on Mars in ten months. Right? <laughs> One month to fund, design, build the spaceship. Nine months to get there, and then again, the delusional people are saying, "See, it was the next natural thing to do." But the people writing the checks are saying, we are doing this because that's the next high ground and we want to occupy it, not our our adversaries. So uh, there's got to be some really serious motivation to do it. Otherwise, I don't see it ever happening. So in other words, this is not going to be the Federation of Planets and we're hanging out. I, I don't see it. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm just trying to be, you know, I wrote a book called Space Chronicles that was my skepticism about this whole thing. And I, the title was going to be, I submitted it as a, um, a failure to launch the dreams and delusions of space enthusiasts. And the publisher said, no, we can't have a title with the word failure in it. So we changed it and gussied it up. So it just became Space Chronicles. But the whole book is calling out how it is that you think something's going to happen and it didn't. And you think something will happen and it won't unless there's some other forces that operate that are nowhere visible on the horizon. You know, you I'm were... Just, 
Don't shoot the messenger. I'm just telling, telling you like it is. You know, you're breaking hearts all over the nation, right? I'm just, <laughs> I'm just, you know, I could just shut up and let everybody continue in their delusions because they're fun delusions. Okay, we're going into space. No, you're going two dimes above the thickness, not the width, not the diameter of the dime, the width, the thickness of the dime. Oh, we're going to go into space and we're not going to see national boundaries. They'll fade away. That's also true from an airplane, by the way. Okay. Oh, we're going to see a pale blue dot. No, you're not. You have to be at Neptune to see a pale blue dot. Okay. We're going to see a dark sky when we get high enough in the atmosphere. I could do that too. I just have to wait until sunset. Okay. So I, you know, these are the delusions and I'm, I I don't know. I'll just stay in my room. I don't have to, but you, it's your fault. You and the journalists are calling me out, getting me to comment on this. Did I ask you to comment on it? No, you, (laughs) you, I was, I was perfectly fine in hibernation here. All right. Well, I guess I'll have to give up my acclaimed ride on the enterprise <laughs> where i could be lieutenant Ahura, well commander Ahura these days but that's a whole nother issue yeah she was actually in line to command the ship given the title that she had uh, so that was a first for a lot of firsts for many reasons back then That was astrophysicist Neil deGrasse Tyson at the American Museum of Natural History. Thanks so much for joining us. And thanks to Ashley Armstrong for her production assistance. Like what you hear? Come back for more. There will be new episodes of Kaleidoscope with Allison Keys every Monday. Follow the show wherever you get your podcast. Thanks for listening. I'm Allison Keys. Hi, this is Jill Schlesinger, CBS News business analyst, certified financial planner, and host of the Money Watch podcast. This is the show where your money is not scary and it's not boring. It is a show that's all about you. It's your questions that make it possible for me to provide unconventional and entertaining insights on your money and maybe more importantly, on your life. I'm going to be your financial coach, someone who brings common sense and an insider's perspective on how to manage your money and your emotions. And I promise we are going to have a little bit of fun along the way. Have a question from retirement to career changes to college funding? Just send us an email at askjill at jillonmoney.com. Follow Money Watch wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen ad-free on the Amazon Music or Wondery app.